Twist and fans, recognition of the global revolution as always. We're the coolest guys around because we are bringing to you all of the wrestling which may be falling under your radar. This week we have another edition of some WXW, that very fine wrestling promotion from Germany, plus just favorite thing to talk about, Dragon Gate. And that's right, I do of course have my co-host here with me. He's a wonderful, lovely, beautiful man. He's excited to talk about Dragon Gate Dead or Alive, as am I. We're going to do it all together. So Jeff... Say hello. Hello, everybody out there in podcast and internet land. Jeff here, Ms. Fan there. Yes, it is that time to finally talk about my favorite promotion, Dragon Gate. Uh, had a very fun and wonderful show from uh, Dead or Alive, which we're going to get into. A couple of title matches, a crazy, hectic uh, survival cage match, as uh, is ritual with uh, Dead or Alive. Plus, we've got some uh, Road to True Colors from Bielefeld for uh, WXW involving talents like Amal Winchester, Veit Muller, Wheeler Yuta, and Ilya Dragunov, and so many others that we're also going to get into. It's going to be a good time here on the Global Revolution, and yeah, I'm hyped up. I'm pumped up. Let's do this thing, baby. I love it. Let's jump right in. Well, what, do you want to? Which one do you want to talk about first? Because I know you might be too excited to talk about uh, some Dragon Gate, but uh, what, what do you want to start with here? Ooh, I, I, I let's. You know what? Let's let's start with Dragon Gate. Let's start All with right. Dragon. That was the show I watched first, so let's uh, let's do this thing. All right, I'll just say up front, I enjoyed the first two matches. I don't know if I have a whole lot to say about them, but anything you want to say about these two matches? Let's get it right out there now. Um, yeah, yeah the Dragon Gate start off matches. That's basically uh, <laughs> how how it is. It was very fun. I did enjoy seeing uh, sort of the first match, uh, the multi man. Uh, Tag match. We had uh, Jason Lee, Yuki Yoshioka, Dragon Dia, and Keisuke Okuda, formerly, I believe, of DDT, uh, showing up in Dragon Gate now. And on the other side, uh, most of uh, um, Natural Vibes, Horiguchi, Punch Tominaga, Brother Yashi, and uh, Problem Dragon, Mundai Ryu, all working together. Uh, it was a match. It existed. It was a good time. Uh, <laughs> Dragon Dia, I thought, looked pretty good. Uh Okuda very over already, and uh, Yuki Yoshioka actually picks up the victory. Yo- uh, Yoshioka, one of the uh, younger guys, so good to see him getting the rub here in this opening match. Indeed. Um, uh, I'll say, Punch Tomonaga, love the man as always, better as a heel. Mandai Ryu, useless as anything besides a heel, uh, so please turn him back immediately. Those are my other been two comments. so long, basically. Yes. I can't believe it's still happening. It's so pointless. He was like this... this Really, like, I looked forward to seeing Mundai Ryu in, you know, his heel role. And now I, I can barely pick him out of a lineup. I've, like, forgotten that he exists. So, he come was, on. He was so much fun. Put put him back in that role, please. Please. We beg you. Uh, following that up, we had a uh, comedy match. as Hollywood stalker Ishikawa and Sachioko Machine, or Sachioko Boy, whichever gimmick he's working, uh, took on the team of Ryo Saito and Kness who uh, both should arguably be having uh, much better things to do, but uh, Saito loves his comedy, and that's basically what this match was. They had a dueling uh, rope walk spot. Uh, eventually, uh, Satyoko Machine moonsaults accidentally his tag team partner in Stalker Ijikawa. They, they, they pin him, and that's the match. You know, fun times, fun comedy, Dragon Gate stuff, but yeah, pretty, pretty simple, good stuff here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't really have any additional comments on that one. Uh, fun little comedy Dragon Gate match. Mm-hmm. 
and we're going to follow that up. And now we're getting into sort of the meat and potatoes of the uh, Dead or Alive card. We start off a very interesting tag team match. Uh, R.E.D. members Eta and Ben K., who have a little bit of an issue with one another leading into this uh, this match. Basically, the build-up for the uh, Dead or Alive cage match this year was uh, the uh, struggle of unit bonds, where some stables wanted to kick other members out of their group and all that sort of stuff. R.E.D. being kind of the central group behind that. You have on one side Ata and all of his cronies. On the other side, you kind of had the Big Ben tag team of Big Arshimizu and Ben K. So... Ata teaming up with Ben K in this match to take on uh, the maximum duo of Masano Yoshino and uh, Kaito Ishida. Uh, this this was a fun match. You had some uh, sort of uh, antics here between Ata and Ben K. The constant the two of them constantly refusing to tag in, constantly you know working against one another here. Um, you also had uh, Yoshino doing his thing, and Kaito Ishida, who I think has really come along in the past uh, few years, looking particularly good here. He's now got his uh, kicks on point. He just he, he kind of exudes this uh, star charisma, I think. So uh, good to see him doing some stuff here. But in the end, it is uh, Ben K who ends up spearing Ata and costing him the victory, allowing uh, Masato Yoshino to hit the lightning spiral. And pin Ata to win this match. Pretty decent tag team match, but it was more about the uh, sort of the character work and the storyline development between uh, Ata and Binke than anything else. Uh, there were three matches on Dead or Alive that I really, really liked that I really got into. This was definitely the first of them. Benke and Ata, uh, both two guys who I think are absolutely the future of Dragon Gate, and if they're not, they really ought to be. Kaido Ishida, yeah, a guy who. Uh, one of these, like, he's getting closer to, like, I will actually remember him from mm-hmm. one match to another, you know? And I mean that in a really good way, because, yes, he was looking really good in this match. Um, it takes me a while sometimes to learn all the Dragon Gate people, because there's so many multi-matches and so many cool people to learn about. But, yeah, he's he's come along tremendously. He's a guy who uh, absolutely I could see joining that top level down the years. Um, mm-hmm. I did not know coming in about the the really the struggle within red although i dig that storyline and i really dig yeah the issues they're having here ada pushing ben k off to try to take the pin take the glory uh ben k spearing ada and uh yeah just some big problems in red which of course feeds into uh the main event which as you said is all about those stables and uh potential ways that people could be leaving uh, from one to the mm-hmm. other, so interesting stuff here. But yes, Ben K, you know, I'm a huge, huge Ben K fan, so love this guy. And if you are a big uh, Ben K fan, the way uh, Ms. Fan is here, you might uh, kind of enjoy uh, what's going to be coming on in the future, but we'll talk about that when we get to the cage match main event. However, we got this up. Um, following this up, we have uh, uh, Tribe Vanguard Trio, Kagetora, Kai, and Yosuke Santa Maria. Uh, Kai, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Ms. Man, or at least coming into this show, but uh, Kai now won half of the Open the Twin Gate Champions with uh, Yamato, which was, yeah, I think, yeah. a uh, interesting choice, considering uh, Kai's... Uh, <laughs> I don't actually know... I, I guess he has to be some sort of a more semi-permanent member of the roster if he's getting into tag titles, but uh, yeah, he, he's got a belt. He's, he's doing some stuff. And in this match, they're taking on my first exposure to this group. I've heard about them seen them uh, doing some things, but I haven't actually had an opportunity to watch a match. 
and it is the the strong machine army. Uh, super strong machine, I think, retired a little bit earlier this year, or late last year, or something. And his son, Strong Machine J, is uh, making his uh, basically his debut run in Dragon Gate um, of all of all promotions, and he is working alongside Strong Machine F and Strong Machine G. And, you know, all ba- all three of them are basically all kind of masked up with the exact same mask, all kind of dressed in the exact same attire. Uh, Strong Machine J kind of on the – looks like he's got a little bit more of a tan. He's a little bit on the skinnier side. Really pretty decent guy uh, wrestler so far from what I've seen from him in this match. Um, and if you did not know, um, Strong Machine F is Don Fuji. Strong Machine G is apparently Gamma. I did not realize this until about halfway through the match, but um, yeah, I guess I remember the last time we talked about Dragon Gate, I mentioned that Don Fuji talked about a bringing a stable to Dragon Gate, and I guess this is what it is, I'm assuming. Um, so yeah, you had the uh, Strong Machine Army taking on a couple members of Tribe Vanguard, had themselves a pretty pretty decent match, but as uh, apparently has been the case with the Strong Machine Army was basically a showcase for them and their kind of gimmick. They're doing, you know, twin magic spots and uh, really more of a showcase for Strong Machine J in particular as he gets a pretty strong uh, run going on in Dragon Gate, eventually picking up the victory for his team over Yosuke Santa Maria via a bridging like uh, chicken wing suplex, basically. So, yeah, the Strong Machine's win this is my first time actually seeing them in action and it's uh i thought it was pretty good uh, also always fun to see uh yosuke santa maria and kagetora specifically so yeah i enjoyed this and i had a uh, interesting time watching the strong machine army for the first time <laughs> last time i saw the strong machines in a six-man tag match i think it was andre the giant demolition axe and blackjack mulligan in like 1986 and they were wrestling bobby heenan so i'm very far away from whatever this oh sorry about that Uh, i am here just talking into a muted microphone very silly on my part um all right yeah uh strong machines uh last time i saw the strong machines in a six-man tag team match i think it was andre the giant Demolition Axe and Blackjack Mulligan, and they were messing with Bobby Heenan in, like, 1986. So I'm very far away from whatever this was all about. I'm vaguely aware of the Strong Machine, like, thing in Japan. Uh, Didn't really know exactly what was going on here, but I kind of got the gist of it, which is true of a lot of Dragon Gate, in fairness, uh, with me. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed this. Uh, Love, Yosuke Santa Maria. Uh, Not the last time that she would have some importance on this show. Um, Kai as Twin Gate Champion, that does surprise me a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. just because I haven't really been that thrilled with what I've seen from Kai, um, but I guess some people are into Kai, and that's fine, so good on him, and uh, yeah, this this was a fine match. Yes, indeed, uh, the only opportunity we're going to see uh, Don Fuji or Gamma on this show, and it was yeah, underneath yeah, us yeah, Strong Machine match. Sad. I love Don Fuji just for who he is, so... Mm-hmm. We could we could I, really do better than that. Yeah, I, I I did figure out it was uh he was strong machine F in this match. They were just watching it because I was like that that guy is selling and bumping exactly the same way as Don Fuji is. He's got like the exact same body. I wonder if I can do uh two and two on this. So 
I kind of figured that out. It, it took me a while to get uh, Strong Machine G until someone mentioned it. It was like, oh, crap, of course it is. So, yeah, I, mean, I guess that's I, what they're doing now. Have you seen Fuji's son, like, as himself, or... Um, that's 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 Jay, right? That's what you said? No, uh, uh, I don't... No, it's not Don Fuji's son. I believe it's, like, Super Strong Machine's son. Like, he's oh, actually... Okay, Strong Machine right. Jay is actually... I misunderstood something a, in there. I gotcha, yes. okay. <laughs> Yeah, he's actually a member of that uh, family, I guess. I didn't know that was a family until recently, so... Uh, right. Yeah, but yes, he's the actual rookie, the debutante, and apparently I think he's pretty talented from what I saw in this match. Pretty uh, pretty good-looking stuff from him specifically. I could not always tell which machine was which, but uh, I will take your word for it, and I'm sure we'll see more of these people in the future. Mm-hmm. Following this up, we got into our first uh, title match on the show, as UT uh, took on uh, Susumu Yokusuka for the Openly Brave Gate Championship, and I must say this was probably one of my favorite matches on the card. I've become a, uh, well, first off, I'm a huge Susumu dude. I, he's one of my favorite wrestlers in Dragon Gate and has been for years. I think he's supremely talented, um, and he kicked a lot of ass in this match in particular. Uh, UT is a guy who's kind of, you know, come up. I've watched him go from a kind of mediocre, definitely the uh, third wheel of the Millennials machine back in the day into really forming his own sort of character, his own sort of wrestling style, really breaking out of that shell over the past uh, year or so. So the fact that he had an opportunity here to take on a uh, veteran like Susumu uh, for the Brave Gate Championship at Dead or Alive, I think, was a uh, was a big deal for him. And he got the, uh, got the sort of famous uh, piano entrance. Um, a lot of Dragon Gate guys, when they get, like, big matches, they'll have little piano interludes right before their themes. Um, so UT got one in this match, which was cool. Um, and they wrestled what I thought was a exceptional match. Uh, early on, Susumu goes for a clothesline against, uh, the, uh, turnbuckle and against one of the, uh, poles that they used to set up the cage for the Dead or Alive cage match and, uh, smashes his arm into it and misses UT. And that kind of sets up UT's offense for the rest of the match. Um, really focused on it with a lot of cool submissions. Uh, Susumu trying to fight back. Um, sometimes doing so successfully, sometimes finding himself in another submission hold while he attempted to, uh, to get his own offense in. So really a great back and forth match was kind of convinced that at least one or two points that UT was actually going to, uh, pull it off, you know, applied the, uh, bien lave, uh, a few times. And I was certain he was going to pick up the title here, but, uh, he does not. So Sumo basically clobbers him the best he can and eventually hits both the Okuska cutter and the Mugen, uh, two of his more uh, notable non-Lariat finishers, and manages to finally put away UT in a what I thought was kind of an instant classic match for both of these dudes. Uh, Susumu always great. UT really busting out here with a incredible match. A uh, good performance for both of these guys. Uh, yeah, this uh, was definitely far and away actually my favorite match on this card, and I really wouldn't have expected to be. Yeah, you've bigged up Susumu many times. I definitely liked him. Maybe didn't see it quite on the same level uh, that you've been talking about. UT is a guy that really I feel like I barely know, honestly. You know, he was like kind of a, a lower tier guy in a few stables for a while. Now seemingly, yeah, really kind of coming up into his own. Um, I loved, most of all, the strong psychology of this, or at least what I think of as psychology, was Susumu really having that arm injury, UT continuing to go after it, to do damage, to block moves, 
that's the kind of stuff, you know, I live for that stuff in wrestling. And as much as I like Dragon Gate, you don't always see it in Dragon Gate. You know, it's not always part of the style. But when they want to do it, they do it exceptionally well. I thought this was really a great example of that. Plus, you got just super cool stuff. You have, like, a, a top rope dominator. I, I think you said it probably called something else. That's what it looked like to me. Mm-hmm. Just super, super cool stuff in this one. So, yeah, kind of put both guys even more on my radar than they were before. They were kind of different levels, and now they're each at a higher level than they used to be at. So a lot of credit to both these guys. Reminds me kind of of seeing, like, Flamita and KZ from, like, three, four years ago in the same role. And uh, I know Susumu's not upcoming like some of those guys are, but UT definitely is, and they really wowed me here. So I was very pleased with this. Indeed. I will want to say really quickly about these – Young guys in Dragon Gate very much reminds me of – I've said this before – very much reminds me of the situation uh, Chikara found themselves in a few years ago where a lot of their veterans you know, end up being signed by different promotions or leaving or retiring or what have you. And Chikara having to focus on a lot of these young guys uh, kind of put the uh, weight on their shoulders. And as we've seen over the years, now a lot of those talents have become exceptionally good. Some of the best workers in Jakar and some of the best workers, I think, just in general – being super exciting, and I think Drangate has basically gotten to that very same point where they had to rely on guys like Ada, on guys like Big Arshimizu and Ben K and KZ and all of these other performers, and now we're starting to see guys like UT and Kaito Ishida kind of come into their own and really develop themselves into really phenomenal performers, and you know me, I love seeing that growth from people, I love watching them go from point A to point B, so it's been really rewarding to watch a lot of these young guys kind of come up and turn themselves, you know, from just kind of rookie guys into the exciting and entertaining wrestlers they are today, so big ups to UT on kind of getting there, developing his own style, and really just kicking a lot of butt. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very good stuff. Following this up, and speaking of more young guys, we have an openly Triangle Gate Championship match. Uh, Masaki Mochizuki leading his uh, kind of rookie dojo, including uh, his partners in this match, Hyo Watanabe and Kota Minora, uh, to take on the current reigning Triangle Gate champions, Sushi Kanda, Kazuma Sakamoto, and the former Cyber Kong Takashi Yoshida in what I thought was a pretty decent match. Um, not probably not going to blow anybody away, I didn't think, but uh, it was fun to see the rookies uh, try to struggle as best they could against the uh, R.E.D. Menace, uh, Yoshida in particular. They just could not find an answer for um, uh, Mochizuki. Tried his hardest to kind of lead his boys into uh, into battle here, but there's no going for them. Uh, Yoshida and Sakamoto in particular doing a lot of heavy lifting, doing a lot of nasty moves, and eventually picked up the win for their team, Triangle Gate, staying with R.E.D. So, yeah, this I thought this was all right. This was a fun time. Um, fun to see Yoshida uh, doing stuff in a multi-man match. And Kazuma Sakamoto, I don't know. It's weird that he's become, like, a really, like, fun performer in Dragon Gate. I don't know how he's done it, but he's he's pretty great, actually. <laughs> I never I thought that he was bad. He kind of got stuck in a bad situation because when he came in, everyone thought it would be Pac. Pac didn't come till later, so he was like this really lame surprise that no one was really looking forward to. If he had just come in, like, kind of on the level he was at, I don't think people would have been disappointed, and then I think they would have been, like, just happy that he was doing well. 
So it's sort of just a context thing. Yeah, he's fine. He's doing just fine. I, I kind of thought that he would. There's never been anything wrong with Sakamoto, as far as I know. Um, as for the match, yeah, I thought it was good, not really great. Um, again, it's a match where I didn't feel like I really necessarily knew everyone involved, especially, yeah, Mochizuki with kind of these younger guys. Uh, you know, I can't tell them apart. I don't know who they are yet. So they got to work up to that kind of Ishida level. Or I'm actually going to start remembering them. Uh, but yeah, you know, I love Takashi Yoshida, the former CyberCon. He got in here to do some cool stuff. Uh, yeah, this was fine. This was good. You know, not great, but definitely good. Definitely a, a, a solid uh, Triangle Gate defense for the RED unit. Um, leading us into our final um, title match of the night. Um, this was actually very interesting. Uh, a few, uh, like a week or so, maybe a few weeks before the show, um, Pac sent out a tweet sort of demanding an opponent for um, for Dead or Alive. He said he wanted somebody he could beat up on, somebody who would be easy pickings for him, um, so he didn't have to like stress and worry and work a whole lot. And the opponent he ended up picking was Dragon Kid, um, leading into this uh, Open the Dreamgate Championship match where Dragon Kid attempted to, try to take the uh, Dreamgate title from Pac, the current reigning champion, and turned out to be... I thought another really good match for Pac as champion. Apparently, uh, from what I've heard from uh, just, just various people online, apparently he hasn't been doing so great in some of the British um, scenes since he's returned uh, from the WWE. Apparently his matches haven't been amazing or something, you know, not really putting in a lot of good work from what I've heard. Can't can't confirm myself, haven't watched a lot of this his stuff elsewhere, but apparently Pac not exactly uh, – lighting the world on fire everywhere else, which is a huge shock to me because pretty much every match he's had in Dragon Gate, I thought, has been uh, at least solid, if not better than that. And this was another example of that. He basically just bullies Dragon Kid in this match, just kind of, you know, throwing him around with big moves, you know, tombstone pile drivers and blue thunder bombs and liger bombs and just a whole mess of just violent moves. Even starting off early with a tombstone on the apron kind of set the tone of the match. Uh, but Dragon did a, an exceptional job as well. He had a couple of moves in here. He hit the Ultra Hurricane Rana. I think he either attempted or managed to hit the Dragon Rana in this match. And I totally thought he was going to pull off the uh, incredible upset it would have been to defeat Pac in this match. But um, yeah, this was a really good one, very exciting one. Uh, Pac really just, you know, showing off his strength in this match and Dragon Kid trying his damnedest to overcome it, having a couple of near close falls that I really bought into. But once again, in the end, Pac manages to retain his title, uh, hits the black arrow after a couple of power moves and just puts away Dragon Kid in what I thought was another uh, great uh, Dreamgate match for Pac here. Uh, I just want to say Pac versus Mike Bailey in Refro. Fucking awesome. Pac versus David Starr in Defiant Wrestling. Fucking awesome. Pac versus Walter in uh, Over the Top Wrestling. Fucking awesome with the weird fucking finger spot and everything. So I don't know what matches these people are watching, except I think they're watching them on a channel called uh, I'm Shitting on Pac because it's like the weird narrative right now. Like, I guess supposedly we're not supposed to like Pac anymore. Like, that's the vibe. I get from some people. I think those people, I don't know. They got some kind of weird viewpoint that I don't really, you know, if that's your opinion, great, I guess. But I don't know. I feel like maybe 
you're being influenced by some outside factors. Um, but yeah, this was great. I had a lot of fun with this. Um, I liked it. Pac kind of asked for this match in his like heelish character way. It's like weirdly respectful, but also like he's a bastard still the way it was set up. Um, mm-hmm. I won't say it was the greatest match I ever saw, but honestly, I thought it was a great match. You know, uh, it goes on a long time. Like a lot of dream game matches do. It's not my favorite, but they filled it pretty well Threw in some really, really cool stuff. Um, you got, yeah, like that top rope Falcon brain buster driver or something. Part it, was, it, it, it might as well have oh. just been like a, like a second rope, uh, Steiner screwdriver the way, uh, yes. Dragon oh, landed. man. Nasty. Uh. And it won't pot clothesline Dragon Kid in the corner so hard that Dragon Kid like rolled up like a crushed insect and ended up like sitting on the top rope. Like I can't even describe it accurately, but I don't know. There's a lot of really, really, really good stuff in this match. I had a very good time with this one. Indeed. Just a great time and Paka being, uh, how, however people want to uh, narrate him, you know, suppose the narrative of uh, what he's doing currently. He is still a phenomenal, I think, Dreamgate champion. He's doing a great job with that belt. But um, with all those matches done, it is time for the big one, the Dead or Alive uh, ceremonial yearly uh, survival cage match. This year, uh, five participants, uh, KZ, Yamato, Shun Skywalker, Big R Shimizu, and Naruki Doi. Now, to explain the rules for anyone who was not aware of what was going on this year. It was a bonds quote unquote steel cage match where the idea was that, um, specific, specifically, um, maximum and, uh, red were having some sort of stable issues where their, uh, people weren't getting along, uh, as mentioned, uh, Ata and, uh, the big Ben tag team in red and, uh, dragon kid and Naruki doi, in a maximum where Dragon Kid kind of supposed himself as the leader and uh, Naruki Doi was not particularly happy about this and they, you know, kind of bickered on and off for a few months. So the idea was, you know, into this match, they were going to test all the units and, you know, how much they essentially cared for one another and what they would do if they had the opportunity to kick somebody out. So the rules were as follows have the uh, sort of standard, like, 10-minute uh, opening frame, basically, where nobody was allowed to retrieve a flag. Once those 10 minutes were up, everybody could go attempt to run up and uh, get themselves one of the four flags that were on there. If you've retrieved the flag, you escaped the cage, and you were fine, and you had the choice, not necessarily forced to, but you had the choice of kicking somebody out of your stable. You didn't have to if you didn't want to, but if you chose to do so, you could remove a member from your unit. However, if you were the last person in the cage, no matter what happened, no matter how else the match went, if you were the last person in the cage, you had to kick somebody out. Kind of convoluted, going to be honest. Um, I I dig the concept, but maybe I think I personally would have done it where if you retrieve the flag, you get to kick somebody out. But if you're the last person in, you yourself get kicked out of the stable. I think that would have made a little bit more sense. But uh, these are the rules we have. You retrieve the flag. You may or may not kick someone out. If you are the last person in, you have to kick somebody out. So, yeah, that's our setup with uh, KZ from Natural Vibes, Shun Skywalker from Dojo Mochizuki, Naruki Doi from Maximum, Big R Shimizu from R.E.D., and Yamato from Tribe Vanguard leading into this uh, this match here and... 
as usual, it was the Dead or Alive uh, cage match. There were wacky weapons being involved. At one point, Yashi like, beats Naruki Doi with a plastic mallet to death. It was great. Um, there's there's always just a whole bunch of weird stuff. You've got dudes with boxing gloves taped to sticks, just like assaulting the cage. Um, there's water guns and water balloons and uh, confetti bazookas and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, people start showing up. You have a at one point, Yosuke Santa Maria went to uh, climb the cage to uh, kiss somebody to prevent them from uh, retrieving a flag, only for her own music to play. And uh, Hio Watanabe, we talked about earlier in the Triangle Gate match, came out as Hiosuke Santa Maria, ran up the cage and kissed Maria to stop her from stopping, I believe, Shun Skywalker, um, which was ridiculous. Um, at one point, uh, BB Hulk returned as Dark Side Hulk to help Yamato escape the cage and fight off some people. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very, as, as kind of usual, it was very hectic, very frantic, very bizarre. Lots of uh, interesting stuff happening in the match. Um, basically, everybody tried to beat up on Big R Shimizu throughout this whole thing. Uh, there are various points where Hulk and uh, Yamato and KZ teamed up for a little bit, and then Yamato and Narugi Doi teamed up for a little bit, then everybody would team up, and then everybody would turn on each other, and it was just... As, as as kind of expected for these matches, for just very weird, very hectic, very action oriented, and occasionally just just very bizarre. So good match, good time, but kind of hard to rate, kind of hard to rank. You know, you, you just kind of let it happen to you basically, and um, enjoy it as best you can. But um, KZ gets out first, followed by Shun Skywalker, and finally Yamato. Bring it down to uh, Big R Shimizu and Naruki Doi, basically the two people whom this match kind of centered around narrative-wise for the build-up. In the end, Naruki Doi escapes the cage after uh, Big R Shimizu busts himself open doing a big splash from off the uh, top rope or off the cage or something. Um, missing entirely, allowing Doi to scale the cage and grab the final flag. So before we get into what happens afterwards, Ms. Fan, how was, how was your experience with the, uh, dead or alive cage this year? <laughs> well, dead or alive cage match is always, uh, some wacky, good fun. Uh, a lot of talented people involved. I thought big Arshmizu came off as the star of this match, uh, despite being hated by everyone and despite being a loser, but man, I don't know. he, he was awesome. Um, I didn't, yeah, the alternate Santa Maria thing, I didn't, I just, I, I did not understand it at the time. I don't know if I understand it now, but it did happen. And, uh, well, I, I mean, it was something. His name is Hyo Watanabe, and her name is Yosuke Santa Maria, so. Of course. Hyosuke no Santa Maria. <laughs> It's so isn't obvious. That, so. Isn't that clear? I don't understand what everything. you don't get. <laughs> it's very weird, oh, but I enjoyed it. It happened. Yeah, Darkside TV Hulk. Wow. I, I don't even know what to say about some of this stuff, but man, it was great fun. It was wacky. Um, it didn't have uh, uh, anybody pitching baseballs or uh, shooting as many water guns as uh, maybe in some years. We did have some of that. So There was nobody wheeling out a, the uh, soccer ball shooting machine that just <laughs> launched them at the cage. Yeah. 
there have been some weird things that have happened over the years in these matches. I highly recommend just watching them, just even out of context, because uh, they're just so... You won't, the context you won't know anyway, so it's, it's great. <laughs> just get into it. Uh, yes, we did have people doused in flour and green mist and just uh, all this, this stuff mixing together. Uh, but yeah, no, I had a great time with this. This was a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. So afterwards, we get... Everybody, you know, as they escaped the cage or as they were eliminated, uh, being able to come out and make their uh, calls on who would or wouldn't be uh, removed from the group. KZ is out first. He doesn't kick anybody out because that was basically never in question. or Natural vibes, I should say. Going to stay together, they have to continue to dance and fight together and bring their dance everywhere in Japan. Um, following this up was Shun Skywalker. Uh, he said he was going to use his right. Um, and that by doing so, he was going to kick himself out of Dojo Mochizuki, um, which is interesting because the, the entire idea behind the, the dojo was that anybody could come and go as they please. Nobody had to stay in the group if you know they could just kind of go on and do whatever, whether they wanted to be part of it or not. With the uh, stipulation added in for this match in particular – was that if anybody got kicked out, they could not come back to Dojo Mochizuki. Um, Shun Skywalker, far and away, kind of the uh, the highest profile member of the group, um, kicks himself out and says that he kind of needs to uh, get away from the group in order to continue to grow as a performer now that he's kind of worked with them. Now he kind of just has to go on his own path to become the uh, wrestler he believes he can be. So he ends up kicking himself from the group. Uh... Him and Mochizuki have a match uh, set up for the beginning session of uh, King of Gate, which will be, uh, I do believe, is already currently started. So kind of partially a lead up to that as well. Um, Mochizuki not happy about this, but uh, Shun, Sky- uh, Shun Skywalker out of the dojo, as it were. Uh, Tribe Vanguard also safe. Everybody ends up staying in the uh, group as well. Yamato doesn't kick anybody out. There was a little bit of a playful teasing in the lead up that he might kick out a uh, Hulk or a. Uh, Santa Maria, but it was never really a, you know, a serious thing. So everybody ends up staying in the group. Nobody is kicked out. Uh, Tribe Vanguard staying together. Uh, following this up, you had Naruki Doi, um, as there was a strife, as mentioned, between him and Dragon Kid. Uh, the fact that he managed to escape, um, there was some doubt as to whether or not uh, Dragon Kid was going to kick out. But ultimately, ultimately, is not to be. Naruki Doi uh, continues on the. Uh, babyface role and does not kick out Dragon Kid and in fact kicks nobody out of the group. He basically understands that Dragon Kid was simply trying to motivate uh, the group early on in the year when they were kind of having some uh, winning woes. Um, he just That was kind of the way he chose to do it by proclaiming himself the leader and stuff like that. So he understands, he gets it, he wasn't happy about it at the time, but um, yeah, now that everybody's kind of doing really well with Maximum, he doesn't want to kick anybody out. Um, he understands where Dragon Kid was coming from, so everybody ends up staying in maximum, and they even all get to do the first finger pose together. So, yay! Good on them. Yeah. Um, however, we get to the end of the uh, participants with Big R Shimizu, um, who calls out um, Ata and the rest of uh, R.E.D., uh, the only two people he had kind of supporting him, were uh, Ben K and Takashi Yoshida, who were basically on his side during this whole thing, on the other side being Eita, Kanda, uh, Sakamoto, and Pac. So he calls out the rest of uh, uh, R.E.D., and he makes it, it seems like he's going to set up that he himself is going to kick Eita out, 
Um, however, this is not exactly what happens. He instead says that he is kicking out Ben K, his tag team partner, who he immediately lariats to the ground. Everybody beats up on. Ameda um, smashes him with a chair. Turns out that this was the plan all along, that they had been uh, leading Ben K astray, that the uh, ben, uh, Big Arshimizu even said, like, the leader has always been Ata. This was always the plan. Apparently saying that uh, uh, Ben K sucked and brought down the prestige of the Twin Gate Championships, which I don't know how true that is, but <laughs> um, they basically insult him before kicking him out of the group, and R.E.D., after seemingly a lot of strife uh, during the buildup, all apparently all together on the same page by kicking out Ben K. So, yeah, Ben K no longer in R.E.D. Um, afterwards, he gets an opportunity to speak. First, he kind of doesn't. He goes to put the mic down and leave, but he gets uh, enough chance to encourage him to do so. He picks him up, and he basically just says, R.E.D. and Shemizu are going to pay, and, yeah, he's going to fight the uh, the evildoers who kicked him out. So yeah, once again, nobody kicked out of Natural Vibes. Nobody kicked out of Tribe Vanguard. Nobody kicked out of Maximum. Um, Shun Skywalker removes himself from Dojo Mochizuki and now cannot come back. And Big Arshimizu and all of R.A.D. kicked out Ben K. So yeah, some uh, interesting times in Dragon Gate. When I first saw that Ben K was getting kicked out by Big R, I was very sad because I think... Uh, Big Ben is the best team in Dragon Gate, the best two-man team, and one of the best tag teams in the whole world. They are just flipping awesome. They had great chemistry together. They had some cool-ass moves that they did together. They've ruled. So this is very heartbreaking. Uh, very very much so. But if this means Ben K will get a big push and get to get a lot of revenge on R.E.D. and kind of tear through them and be uh, the awesome Ben K that he could be, then... I'm all for it. I hope that's what this means, um, because uh, like I've said, Ben K is the future of Dragon Gate. He's the number one guy that I would push in this new generation, and uh, hopefully this is the beginning of that, because seriously, I feel like the sky's the limit with this guy. Yes, indeed. There seems to be some uh, some tenuous uh, sort of strands laid, basically, for uh, a Shun Skywalker and Ben K kind of a... Uh, forward-moving group, kind of a revolution of the two of them, kind of being the highest-profile young talents that Dragon Gate has going forward. Um, after one of the King of Gate matches, Shun Skywalker actually came out to save Ben K from a uh, R.E.D. beatdown. So the two of them definitely seem to be linked together, and I think that's going to be the smart thing to do from here, is let the two of them, um, especially Ben K, maybe take the reins as the young talents... Uh, going forward for Dragon Gate, because both of them are super talented. Bin K, especially tremendous worker, already in his young career, so going to have to see how this plays out, but I think Dragon Gate is going in the right direction with Shun Skywalker, and especially Bin K. Yeah, yeah, I'm all about it. Some good stuff there. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that finishes uh, Dead or Alive, a great show this year, a couple of really good matches, and as always, the very... Wonderfully wacky and bizarre uh, cage match. So, yeah, good show overall, I thought. Yeah, yeah, very good show. Very pleased with how everything went down. Uh, mm-hmm. We do move on then to some WXW True Colors, or rather Road to True Colors. I'm going to cover that first, these Road 2 shows. Having uh, a number of really good matches, but also a lot of backstage segments that are going to set up to uh, the actual True Colors event, which uh, mm-hmm. I think may have already aired, so I'm sure we'll get to that soon. 
I believe it's happened, but it is, uh, I think, uh, by the time you hear this, it will be up uh, for viewing on uh, WXW Now. There you go. So it goes up on Tuesday, I believe. That's the man who has all the answers. That man, Jeff. (laughs) I try. Um, Yes, we kick this off with a six-man tag match of our own. Uh, On one side, we have the always absolutely delightful Absolute Andy and uh, JFK. Love that pairing. On the other side, we have Rise, Lucky Kid, Pete Bouncer, and Ivan Kiev. Um, I suspect that both of these pairings may be reaching maybe an ending soon, and uh, I hope that's not the case for one or both, because I really like these alliances on both sides. Uh, Mm -hmm. We do see some more Rise miscommunications happening, particularly Lucky Kid uh, not tagging in Pete Bouncer at kind of a crucial moment. And another moment, excellently hitting Ivan Kiev with his uh, back handspring, really just having all sorts of problems on that side. Eventually, it breaks down to the point that uh, Jay Skillet is able to get the winning pin. After the match, we have Pete Bouncer just yelling at Lucky Kid. Ivan Kiev kind of trying to keep the peace, but also seemingly very frustrated by everything that's going on. So, so yeah, Rise still having big problems, and I gotta say. I really hope that they can pull it together because they, they fought for a long time to kind of be rise to, to kind of finally all be together. And now it's all falling apart. It makes me sad. And that's good because it means I'm invested, but also that means I don't want them to break up. So, so that's mm-hmm. what I'm feeling about that. Yes, indeed. And um, following this match, we got a little bit of a kind of a look at kind of what happens afterwards. Essentially um, after this match kind of have uh Pete Bouncer and Ivan Kiev sitting together and Ivan's basically going, you know, this, you know, this sucked, but it happened, you know, whatever. Pete Bouncer kind of apologizes to him for losing his cool. Ivan's like, all right, yeah, it it happened, I understand. But he did bring up that in the previous match, the match against uh, Rise versus Schadenfreude, um, Ivan said, you know, I noticed, you know, this has been on my mind since then, but I noticed that you were kind of quick on the, uh, quick on the draw there when, uh, absolute Andy and JFK attacked and were you know, like really quick to get the pin during all that commotion. And it made me think that, you know, did you know that this was going to happen? Uh, Pete Bouncer kind of brushes it off. It's like, yeah, I totally got the plan for absolute Andy. Didn't you? Didn't you get the script? You know, I'm doing what I have to do. You know, I'm, I'm taking out uh schadenfreude, you know, a win is a win because um, as he brings up, you know, you, you know, the two of us, we're not booked for true colors, but you know who is? It's Lucky Kid. You know, we need to pick up victories so we can get booked um, and continue doing our thing. So very, uh, very interesting uh, quotes and comments from uh, Ivan or Pete Bouncer there about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not being happy that uh, Lucky Kid was being booked and they weren't. Um, definitely brought that up and seemed to be very upset. A little bit later in the show, we actually see uh, – Ivan Kiev and Lucky Kid talking. Uh, Lucky Kid apologized to him for the miscommunication in the match. Um, Ivan is kind of, he, once again, he kind of accepts it, but he's like, look, we got to, you know, this can't keep happening. We got to, like, straighten things out. You know, you got to pick a side. He says, you know, in W, Lucky Kid says, you know, WXW, Rise is my family. Rise is where I'm going to focus on. However, Ivan Kiev points out that currently Lucky Kid's actually wearing a uh, Schadenfreude sweater and just <laughs> kind of points it out like yeah it's uh it's it's not great so it, it it seems that kind of the emotional center right now is actually going to be ivan kiev as lucky kid you know kind of wants to do 
you know, he supports Rise. He's definitely a member of Rise, and he loves them, but he's got his buddies in Schadenfreude doing their thing, and he wants to, you know, remain friends with them as well. Um, Pete Bouncer, on the other hand, uh, does not enjoy this at all and seems to be very uh, self-motivated uh, to do some things for himself and potentially Yvonne as well, and Yvonne kind of being the uh, peacekeeper between the two of them trying to keep uh, cooler heads prevailing in this group. So we'll have to see where it goes. Um, really like you, hoping that they do not break up in any way. I'd like to see all three of these guys stay together because I really like Rise as a stable. Um, they worked uh, decently well until this match, until it uh, started all falling apart for them. Um, they did have a fun segment where they all ended up working together to throw Absolute Andy off when none of them could do it individually. I thought that was a fun little visual thing there. So there's definitely uh, there's definitely hope for the uh, three of them to remain together as a group, but uh, just every so often some miscommunication, something backfires on them, and it uh, draws them away for at least a little bit. So hopefully they can manage to put things together. And uh, on the other side, Absolute Andy and JFK are just absolutely wonderful. And yeah, glad to see them... Uh, pick up a victory because I really like that pairing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, two things that I really like out of all that. Um, like a kid apologizing while wearing the Schadenfreude uh, uh, outfit was um, a really nice touch. Very pleased with the way that they are uh, playing through the emotional aspects of these situations. Um, and uh, second thing is really really love that Pete Bouncer and I'm Kiev are having really different reactions about all of this because they are not just homogenous tag team partners. They have defined characters. They have uh, personalities. And uh, that's uh, what really helps you get invested in all of this. So mm-hmm. some really cool stuff. The other <laughs> side of the fallout of this match is actually the greatest thing that maybe WXW has ever done. It is like three or four segments of Absolute Andy just, like, crashing on the couch with JFK, eating bowl after bowl of chili, and just annoying them just out of their minds to no end by being old and clueless and talking about movies from the 60s, which are quite new. It's quite new, he assures them. Um, yeah. I, I think my favorite me, my favorite thing uh, that happened here was at one point he called himself Skinny. He's just yes. like, yeah, just, just skinny, skinny Andy coming in here for a sit down. It's just like, what is happening? This is great. He does the squid fist bump and he thinks it's the coolest thing on earth. <laughs> cool oh. dad, absolute Andy is just the best thing that's ever happened anywhere at any time. It might I love be my it. favorite thing, maybe in wrestling right now, with Walter a little bit off my radar in WWE and, uh, I don't know. He might just be my favorite thing in wrestling right now. I got to say that. So amazing. Um, uh, eventually, after these wonderful segments play out, he's still there eating chili. He's still annoying them. But Lucky Kid. It's like his fifth to... mold at this point. It's oh, great. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, Lucky Kid shows up. And he. <laughs> I love this man. He, like, jumps up. He's like, whoa, whoa. And he's, like, protecting JFK, and he's making, like, a huge show of Lucky Kid just, like, walking into the room, and, uh, uh, they just have a great, uh, back and forth, where Andy is just making fun of Lucky Kid, and also looking foolish at the same time, he challenges Lucky Kid to put his title shot that he got from 16 Karat Gold on the line, um, Kid, it doesn't, doesn't really address this, actually, he just says it's about proving something to his family, that he can solve his own problems, 
He slaps Andy's belly, and Andy can't believe that he slapped his belly. Just, just, ah, what, what a bunch of great segments these were. Uh-huh. About this last segment, I think there was a lot of good, like, uh, emotional whiplash going on, because you had Andy being exceptionally goofy, like, jumping up to protect JFK, who clearly weren't really bothered by what was happening. Um, the two of them, uh, Lucky Kid and Andy, bicker for a little bit, but Andy kind of reveals why specifically he's got this issue with Lucky Kid. Mm. Um, you know, he was, you know, a former champion. He won 16 karat gold. He, you know, ended up winning the title from it and doing all this stuff. Um, and he basically feels like a Lucky Kid is the new kid on the block, who's now like the shiny new toy everybody is interested in, despite the fact that Andy is still, at least in his mind, and absolutely is in, should be in everybody else's mind, still like at the top of his game, still the best thing going on in WXW, and should still be kind of like the center of everything. Lucky Kid showing up to win the tournament out of nowhere should not like diminish that in his mind. So he, he, he like encourages Lucky to put his title shot on the line, you know, if you're so good, if you're so hot right now, why don't you uh, put that title on the line? Lucky kid, you know, no, I'm not. It seemed he didn't quite address it, but the, the air seemed to be that he was not going to fall for this. He was like, I'm not. Do you think I'm stupid? I'm not doing this. Or, you know, I've, I've got things to prove to my family that I can stand up and I can do my own stuff on my own. So, uh, so good luck. And he smacks him on the belly and calls him fat to walk off. But it didn't seem like. I, I don't know. There's like we talked about uh, a few weeks back when we covered uh, WXW and some of the mean things uh, Bobby Gunn said to uh, to Absolute Andy, and those seemed really genuinely like bad, you know, like mm. basically implied he was like wearing makeup and was like less of a man for that. But Andy covered really moment, good, basically, which yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, Lucky Kid like smacking him on the belly and like calling him fat and then walking off. And Andy just being like, wow, that was really rude. Did you see that? That was rude. He smacked my belly. That was rude. Like, I don't know. Something about that just played off so great. And, yeah, I went back to being like they had this kind of serious moment in the middle, uh, sandwiched between two very uh, goofy, silly, funny things happening on either end. So, yeah, it's great stuff. Love Andy. Definitely one of the best promos in the business. And might be the absolute best like uh, overall character and wrestler going on between his in-ring work, between these segments and things like that. He's just basically just just perfect at this point. I love him. So yeah, looking forward to this match uh, with Lucky Kid. Should be an absolute barn burner. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. No pun intended, I'm sure. Um, yeah, so uh, we got a few other threads on this show, I think uh, we'll maybe talk by thread instead of going strictly chronological. Uh, one thread we have is uh, Amale Winchester getting a lot of airtime on this show. Uh, we do see one backstage promo where uh, she talks to Baby Allison, whom she teamed with at the last show. Baby Allison uh, sounds like she would rather team up again since they won last time, but Amale is not into it. Uh, she basically just says that she's better. The baby Allison and boy howdy, we get to this match and she ha ah, she couldn't be more right <laughs> that she is better than baby Allison. Um, I'm just gonna say it's actually amazing how not good baby Allison is as a wrestler. She may be one of the worst wrestlers that I have ever seen, and I don't mean that to be mean. I have no idea where she is that in her career. I think certainly with a lot of hard work, she could be perfectly good. But she, she's not there. 
Um, She's not there. WXW books her again. I don't. I won't know what to think. Just like super awkward timing. None of the offense really looks any good. Like the, the all the bumping. What there is of it seems like very off. Um, yeah. I just so I, it, like I said, it was actually kind of amazing how not good of a wrestler Baby Allison is. So that's the, that's very strange. The last time we talked about these two, I said the uh, gulf between how good Amal Winchester is and how good Baby Allison isn't is incredibly wide, mm. and that was only furthered by this match. I'm all uh, doing what she can in this match. She actually, she was made to look worse in this match than I think she actually is because she had to, like, bump and sell and do things for baby Allison, who I am sorry. She's got a great look. I think she kind of, you know, has a decent amount of, like, magnetism to her, but oh my god, she is not good at all, basically, in the ring. And the, the move that really set this up to me was very early on in the match. She basically hits a uh, kneeling snap DDT to them all, and that might have been the worst DDT-like execution that I have ever seen. I'm sorry. It was it was bad. It was just it was very bad. Um, thankfully, Amal picks up the victory here, uh, puts on a couple of moves, you know, hits a couple of things, eventually hits a uh, spinning reverse STO to finally pin Baby Allison in a match that was unfortunately for Amal not good. She she you could tell she was trying. She was doing her thing, but Baby Allison genuinely kind of dragged her down a little bit in this match. It's very disheartening. Um, but good on them all to pick up the victory. And I think uh, Baby Allison, I don't know where she came from. I don't know how far along she is in her career. But she definitely, I think, needs an incredible amount more of seasoning before we should uh, be seeing her as a regular featured member of the in-ring roster. If she wants to be a manager of some sort, that would be cool as she kind of learns the ropes maybe behind the scenes. You know, that would be fine. I can dig that. But uh, she, at, at this point, I do not think she should be in the ring, like, wrestling regularly uh, at televised events. She just shouldn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I would have to agree. Fortunately, uh, Molly Winchester gets the victory as well. She certainly should. We see her later backstage with Karsten Beck uh, asking for a title shot. And uh, apparently, like, kind of wanting to hit on him to get it, uh, which I thought came off a little weirdly. Um, Karsten Beck asks her instead if she wants to be added to a second match on the show to show how much she deserves the title shot. And, uh, well, she goes for it. Um, so, uh, sort of weird. Like, she's coming off heelish, but also, you know, she's going to wrestle twice. Like, she was very game for it. Um and then, yeah, I, I don't know, this was a little strange, just the way it came off. What did you think? Yeah, I, I think especially by the end of it, it comes off as very weird. Once once we sort of end this thread, it came across as uh, very strange, I thought. But um, the, the sort of I, – I feel like they should have committed one way or the other. Either she's trying to hit on Karsten Beck and gets forced into this match and doesn't like it, or she's, like, demanding – a title shot, and Carson Beck says, "Hey, why don't you take on the uh, uh, these other two in a make this a triple threat match?" She goes, "All right, I can do that. I'm game for that." Because then by the end, we're going to see like a, a slight change in in character. I thought didn't no, nothing really meshed about these uh, particular segments, and it felt like uh, someone couldn't commit to 
what they actually wanted to do, and it was very, very weird, very weird. Led to some, uh, to a good match that we'll talk about next, I believe, but, uh, uh yes, yeah. indeed. Um, she does get added, it was originally going to be Killer Kelly against a wrestler named Valkyrie, who is here from Ireland, and I guess was trained by Finn Balor, and really loves Irish people, and maybe possibly thinks that they are, like, a superior race. Just, like, extrapolating from her promo, she just really loves Irish people, I guess. Um, so good for her, uh, as far as that goes. Um, the match itself, yeah, Killer Kelly versus Maul Winchester versus Valkyrie. Uh, Portugal, France, and Ireland, all meeting in Germany. Which and all meeting in Germany. Germany. It's amazing. You know, this is Very, very European match, indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I enjoyed this. Uh, I thought everyone in this match came off very well, came off very talented. Unexpectedly to me, Valkyrie actually gets the win here. She pins them all. So uh, that, that was surprising, but uh, it went really well overall. Yes, I thought this was a lot of fun. It starts off with them all. Uh, it actually starts off with some respect shown between Killer Kelly and Valkyrie, which them all finds very goofy, silly. She goes for a kick, um, gets caught, and basically gets tossed around between uh, Kelly and Valkyrie for a little bit of a goofiness. Um, eventually she kind of gets dumped out of the ring and it focuses on, uh, Kelly and Valkyrie for a while, both looking particularly good. Kelly, Kelly kicking a lot of butt in this match. Valkyrie for someone I've never seen before. I thought came across incredibly well yeah. throughout this whole match. Um, eventually Amal gets back involved and really starts displaying a little bit more character to her at one point, like both Kelly and Valkyrie are down. She's going for like these rapid fire pins is Amal and can't get, anybody to stay down gets exceptionally frustrating just screams in the middle of the ring um in the end valkyrie does pick up the victory i thought everybody looked good this was a very fun time um just just you know impressive showing for all three and valkyrie picking up the win in a uh, wxw debut so uh good on her very unexpected when being in there in the ring with kelly and them all but you know good on her i thought she looked great in this match too so that's good however we follow this up um, with them all going backstage and after being kind of game to begin with, immediately saying to uh, Carson Beck, hey, that wasn't fair. I should still be number one contender. I want Tony Storm at True Colors, and it wasn't fair that you put me in a second match. And he goes, well, Tony Storm's not going to be performing at True Colors. You will not be there. However, what I can do is give you another match at True Colors, to determine who becomes the number one contender to Tony Storm, who will be performing at Superstars of Wrestling. So we're going to have, essentially, a rematch of a match we just saw, Killer Kelly, Valkyrie, and Amal Winchester, where the winner will become the number one contender to Tony Storm and the WXW Women's Championship. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that they've you know, this first match was good. Definitely doing it a second time will also be pretty good, I imagine. But it, it felt like the road we kind of took to get there might not have been the uh, the best one, I think. I don't know. Something very weird about these segments. Um, yeah, just, just, just maybe not perfect. Maybe a little bit more uh, focus, I think, next time. Because, once again, I'm all started off seeming game to do this uh, second match. And then was immediately complaining about it. But... I don't know. It was very weird. Very weird. Yeah, sort of weird. Like, uh, she was sort of portrayed as the heel, but she did wrestle two matches, and she did, like, put on a good effort in both of them. Um, but her biggest uh, mistake was assuming that we have a women's champion who will actually come to work ever. So, please take the belt off Tony Storm. She's a WWE wrestler now. She 
She's not here. She doesn't work here. Just just mm-hmm. somebody, please take the title. That's what I need. Please. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, cool. Um, another thread we have. We uh, once again get to hear about the uh, travel situations of the the pretty bastards. Uh, Veit Mueller and Maggot are outside. Maggot is once again wondering where Prince Ahura is. Uh, I'm sitting here wondering if Veit Mueller joined Rinkov just in time for him to be the only member of Rinkov. Because <laughs> I swear we don't know about Thatcher. Walter is like kind of. Also, not really here that much anymore. Uh, Axel, obviously not either. Neither of the Axels, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's a there's little no concern. other member, so it's literally just Vite by himself it's in a just, ring yeah, cop scarf. I feel bad for him. He worked really hard to get here, and now nobody is here with him. Um, but, but hopefully that'll that change. Uh, Prince Aurora does come by. He's on his phone. He's being a jerk. He's being uh, sloppy and not respectful. Carson Beck. Scolds him for not being on time. I don't know if I like Carson Beck. I have to put that out there. Like, I'm sure he means something to everyone who saw him when he was a wrestler. To me, he's a little obnoxious. He's kind of like this weird judgmental guy who just goes around and is sort of biased against uh, the people he doesn't like. So, I don't know. I don't know if I love Carson Beck in this Uh, role. Um, I like Carson Beck. Um... Uh, so far, pretty much anything he's been involved with, except for the Amal thing, has been uh, pretty good. I did enjoy him uh, scolding uh, Prince Ahura here, because everyone apparently is scolding Prince Ahura, including his own tag team partner. And that's what I uh, I think appreciate the most about this segment, is Ahura, uh, Maggot rather, growing into the very uh, unhappy tag team partner who has to put up with Ahura's uh, shenanigans. He's like literally out here just kind of showing uh, some respect and talking to... Uh, 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 Weitmuller, um, Hura finally shows up, you know, gives nobody any respect, gets yelled at for being late, and then just walks off, like, still on the phone talking to this dude, um, which ends with Maggot going, hey, uh, you, can I, can I be in ring comp and you be in the pretty bastards? Can we do that really quickly for just this one show? And White's like, no, we're not doing that. It's like, damn it. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of enjoyed this. Um, I, I, I really like Maggot. I don't know why. Just his work <laughs> as this, like, just, just pulling his hair out at his tag team partner, just, just shtick kind of works for me. Um, it really gives the pretty bastard something to kind of, like, sink their teeth into character-wise, because, like, I think they're pretty good wrestlers. I think Ahura still has some, uh, room to grow, and Maggot is himself pretty alright, but... The two of them kind of having this sort of gimmick to play off on, I think, has really uh, kind of elevated them a little bit in my eyes. Uh, I'm a Prince of Hura guy, most definitely. Uh, I enjoy what he does more so. But uh, here's what I'm salty about. Here, here's what I can't get over. The Arrows of Hungary would have been on time, and they wouldn't be breaking up like two seconds into being a real tag team. So that that's what I'm still a little <laughs> salty about. And I say this joke, but I also don't, because it annoys me when you have a tag team that can't even get on the same page, and then they're beating a great tag team like the Arrows of Hungary. It does bother me a little bit. It does. So I dug this segment. I do like um, the Pretty Bastards, but I really miss the Arrows of Hungary, and I feel like there's a missed opportunity not to continue booking them. So please book them some more, especially if this tag team is just going to break up because... That, you know, we need good tag teams. Uh, mm-hmm. And Arrows of Hungary. Check uh, every possible box. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, and this is going to lead right into a uh, tag team match for the Pretty Bastards as they go two on two 
with The Crown, Alexander James and Yearn Simmons. And I must say, A, this was a very fun match. I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, Prince Ahura hits a tremendous, like, step-up knee strike in this match. Um, I don't remember if he's actually on... a great wrestler. I really he is. Love he's the he's, stuff he's very good. Um, Maggot, I think, serves as a good base for the team. He's a little bit less flashy, but a little bit more uh, kind of, you know, grounded. Um, which is very weird, considering his name is Maggot, and he dresses and looks the way he does, that he's the more grounded and level-headed uh, <laughs> member of the tag team. But uh, figure that one out. Um, yeah, okay, that's another weird thing, because, like, Prince of Hura, I get it. He's like a prince of something. He's very arrogant. Why is Maggot, like, the nice, dude. like, let's be on time. Let's be respectful. Your name is Maggot. Like... Name is Maggot. You wear like like face paint. You look kind of like a death metal dude. Right. And yeah. Like just a like, Hello. Like you should be in a mosh pit, but not like let's come to work on time. Let's please our boss. Like what the hell? It's weird. Let's treat Mike Miller respectfully. Let's let's give him the time of day. Let us right, do this. Right. Right. I would almost Maggot. think it more if like both of them were acting out in like their own respective ways. Uh, but no, it's like Maggot is like the straight man, even though he's called. Maggot! I can't overstate this enough. Okay, all right. It's very fun. However, my biggest uh, takeaway from this match is can we please let Yern Simmons do literally anything else with this? Thank you. (laughs) Like, even Yern himself, like, I know he's probably just trying to look like, you know, stern and serious and all that, but even he doesn't often look like he wants to be in this match. Like, he misses, very clearly misses, like, doing something else because he's got to take on the pretty bastards, which is fun. Um, he's got a team with Alexander James, which while I like Alexander James, probably less fun. Um, I just, you could do anything with this man. He could be contending for the shotgun championship. He could be contending for the world championship. He could have like an amazing tag team partner and be going after the tag titles. And said he's working with kind of all right, above average Prince of pro um, not my favorite guy, but I like him more than Miz fan does. And he's taken on the, uh, the, the pretty bastards and he has to get like kicked and need and everything. And Aaron Simmons just deserves so much more than whatever this role is for him right now. He just does. Aaron hmm. uh, Simmons is indisputably one of the most valuable assets that WXW has. And yeah, I mean, whether you like Alexander James or not, Yuri Simmons is just on, like, an immensely higher level. Um, so, yeah, that that is definitely a big takeaway for me as well. I did think this was a really good match, but that was my feeling. My second feeling is um, Prince Ahura. The problem that he may have is he is so good at getting murdered that, like, <laughs> as good a rest, like, as good as his offense might be, he is a hundred times better at getting murdered, and it's like it's he hits. Kind he's of the like the only thing he should be doing because he's like supernaturally good at it. He's he's got these like incredible knee strikes. Like he doesn't wear like shoes, but he like has great kicks. He's you know re- pretty fast with some nice springboard stuff. Like he's he's a very good wrestler. Like he he's, he's just very he's good. very enjoyable to watch on offense. However, he suffers from the. Uh, the uh, Jesse Goddard's problem of <laughs> looks absolutely fucking amazing, getting dumped on his skull, being hit, being punched, being thrown. He's he's tremendous at it. My, the, the best thing in this match is the finish, where he like hypes up the crowd like he's going to come do something. He calls for both the crown. He's like, I'm going to take both of you out on my own from the apron. And he like leaps into the ring 
and immediately just gets choke slammed to his absolute death by both men. And it was incredible. Like, it was a great moment in particular, just because it was just as hyped up, like, yeah, I'm going to do it, and then immediately doesn't, which is one of my favorite tropes in general. And he also just, he took the choke slam bump amazingly. It was so just, like, good. so good. And it was, it was great. It was fantastic. Um, and it's what he should be doing. But also, he's good on offense. So I, I don't. The, the Prince of Hura is a lot of things, basically, and I think it's going to be a slight struggle to figure out what specifically to do with him because he is like he's got his fingers in so many pies in terms of like what he can do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's very good. He's very fun. Um, the crown ends up winning this match. And uh, once again, Prince of Hura absolutely just fucking died in this match. It was great. <laughs> it was absolutely great. Um uh, a match connected to this one that is not immediately apparent, but will be so after, is uh, Julian Pace taking on Emil Satoshi, and I believe a non-title match, uh, from what I understood. Um, but either way, uh, this was definitely one of my favorite matches of the night, and that's because it was worked so much in line with the story and the character, once again, of uh, everything that's been involved with this. We've seen Emil Satoshi been a bit of a mentor for young guys like Julian Pace in the past, returned um, at 16 carats with just this horrible attitude, with this 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 uh, nihilistic view on life, and uh, attacking Julian Pace in particular right after he won a match, and uh, Julian Pace hasn't really had a chance to answer that. Here he got a chance, and man, he was raring to go. He dove out of the ring just to start the match. Uh, I thought he was looking awesome here. Uh, I love the little things like uh, Satoshi's been taking him out with spinning tombstones, but here, Julian Pace, like, he was ready for it. He had counters. He was, like, kneeing him in the face as soon as he put him up in that tombstone position. Mm-hmm. It's all about the little details. It's all about the context. And uh, this is something that we don't talk about as much, but it's also really important. I have a very strong sense of hierarchy in WXW. Like, I know mm-hmm. if Julian Pace beat Emil Satoshi that would actually mean a lot. Like, these are not interchangeable names. It means a lot, not just because of the story that they have, but because of where they are ranked in the company, where their felt sense of uh, positioning is in the company. Uh, Satoshi mm-hmm. does get the win here with a different move, and then after Pace is taken out, then he hits the tombstone anyway. And uh, really my only complaint about all of this is the crowd was stupid. This was a, kind of a stupid crowd, when he tombstone they really Julian were. Pace, they I... were like, one more time. And I'm like, mm, react to the story, dummies. So, I don't know. Uh, that annoyed me a little bit. But uh, everything else about this was really good, I thought. I, f- I feel like the crowd in general for this show felt not a very best. off in general. Not, not my favorite, not... yeah. But, um, yeah, this match was really good. Um, Julian Pace looked on fire throughout this match. Um, Emil Satoshi has been working this gimmick to perfection early on begging for uh julian pace to like you know hit him and punch him and you know pace would constantly do it but uh satoshi seemed you know very into this was like yeah is that all you got come on hit me again which eventually leads into a uh julian pace basically saying all right fuck it and super kicked him in the head dropped him down in a really great moment uh both guys looked great and i really want to kind of focus on that uh hierarchy thing that you Mm -hmm. mentioned Mm because that's an incredible point to make and it's one of the things that makes a lot of the matches in WXW have the weight 
that they do. Remember, earlier this year, we saw Weitmuller take on Walter in what was a match of the year candidate, maybe the front runner for such an award. And the reason, I think, a big part of the reason why that is the match of the year is because of that sense of hierarchy. Had Weitmuller been able to successfully defeat Walter, this is not, you know, one guy just beating another guy. It's not even necessarily two main event talents going on one-on-one, one of them pinning the other one. This was young up-and-comer struggling against the face of the company, the ace of the company, and having to you know go blow for blow with this guy and doing it incredibly successfully up until the end. Like that's the weight that that match carried, and that's why that match was as good as it was. Aside from you know the obvious talent of both Walter and White Muller, uh, the things they were actually doing in the match, et cetera, et cetera. Part of the reason it was at that level was because of that sense of hierarchy. Mm. And this match, while not necessarily being up to that level, very much had the same thing. If Julian Pace had been able to defeat Emil Satoshi, it's not one, you know, mid-card guy beating an upper mid-card or main event guy, you know, and that's just kind of it. Like, no, this was young up-and-coming talent who, you know, got his head planted into the mat several times by Emil Satoshi, who is... I don't know if he's necessarily a legend, but he is definitely a highly touted, highly known, um, well-respected member of the WXW locker room who has done a lot of things, who has, you know, a lot of veteran experience, very talented dude. Like, you know, he's a guy who himself carries a lot of weight. Had Julian Pace been able to defeat him, um, you would have felt that. You would have understood what that meant to both Julian Pace individually and WXW on the whole. However, that did not happen. Julian Pace ends up eating a snapmare driver to lose this match. Um, and Emil Satoshi wins. But you definitely felt, as Ms. Fan said, that that sense of hierarchy, that sense of where everybody is on the level compared to anybody else. And that it's one of the things that makes um, WXW so great. After this match, uh, Emil calls out, Avalanche and says if he wants to do it for this title, you know, I just beat up your protege, um, which I didn't really know Avalanche was uh, had uh, Julian Pace as a protege, but I guess, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that specifically, but I do like that they went back to the Avalanche Satoshi thing. There's definitely some yes. there. Yes, so they, uh, they're going to be fighting at uh, True Colors for that shotgun championship, and that should be a really good match in and of itself as well. Absolutely should. Uh, the follow-up to this is uh, backstage, Yearn and uh, Alexander James are kind of bragging about their victory. They notice uh, Julian Payson decided to basically mess with him. They challenge him to get a tag team partner and uh, face off with them in true colors. So, who will Julian Pace partner up with? I have no idea, but uh, I really like Julian Pace. I'm liking him more and more, and yeah, he, he's, he's looking like a guy who could in time be a very big deal in this company, and I'm about that. So whoever he teams up with, it'll be very interesting. Uh, Actually, I know who he teams up with. Oh, you Uh, know who he teams up with? Yes, because they announced it on the show, actually, uh, right at the end. I don't know why I missed that. Who is he teaming up with? Tell me. Well, he's going to be teaming up with one of the men in our next thread, in our uh, uh, triple threat match, um, which I think we might as well talk about, because we've got... um, on, in this match, we're going to have Ilya Dragunov, we're going to have Veitmuller, and we're going to have, making his WXW debut, 
the one and only Wheeler Utah, who later at the end of the show is actually announced uh, in a like you know graphic going over the card for True Colors, announced as the tag team partner of Julian Pace. So, so Utah, I thought he was wrestling Welter, but that must be at um, what's the next one? Superstars of Wrestling. Yes, I believe. Okay, so. all right, I mixed that up. So, okay, fair enough. Well, that that's a cool partner. I don't know if that's someone who's actually gonna stick around, but uh, it should be a good match. Now I'm excited for Utah versus um, uh, Yuren Simmons. That should be great. Uh, I really like Wheeler Utah. Um, he does a, a little promo shouting out guys like Drew Gulak and Mike Quackenbush who helped train him, which is very cool. Uh, I'm glad he's here. I really, really dug this three-way match. Which is probably been better it's for like this one as well. Collection of people, but yeah, it ended up being one of my favorites on the card. A weird but really cool mix of guys uh, doing some really good stuff in here. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Ilya Dragunov battering people with lariats. We have Vite Muller uh, being, you know, Vite Muller. We have Wheeler Yuta trying his uh, combination of technical and uh, Lucha Libre and high-flying skills. Really meshing, I thought, super well, all three of these dudes. There were some fun spots throughout this match. At one point, Vite Muller, I think, picked up Wheeler Yuta, did an airplane spin with him, then put him down and dealt with Ilya Dragunov really quickly. Then picked Willie Yuta back up and continued the airplane spin. It was incredible. I enjoyed that. Um, really, I thought all three guys worked super well together. Vite Muller really uh, looking good as the, uh, I guess, the now last member of Ringkampf, I think. I don't know, but there he is. He's doing his thing. He rules. Uh, Ilya Dragunov also rules. However, uh, during this match... Um, who should come out and cost him the uh, victory in this match but Marius Al-Ani, the man he is facing at True Colors, whom he still has issues with uh, going back to the Kavikslav, uh earlier this year. So the two of them, uh, Al-Ani comes out, ends up costing him and distracting him, and allowing, I believe, Veit Muller to pick up the victory and uh, win this uh, triple threat match. Um, and we've got more of that where that came from, because uh, uh, also on this show we get um, a live version of the smoking break from our WXW Unified World Champion, Bobby Guns. Mm-hmm. I guess the live version is all there is anymore. I can't remember the last time we saw, like, you know, kind of the older version where it was, like, uh, actually planned out segments and, like, Bobby Guns just, like, spitting awesome poison at his opponents, um, literally and figuratively with the cigarette smoke. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Bobby Guns comes out to do the promo. He's still starting his own chant, Jeff Hardy style. Uh, Hardy's cool, revenge. Uh, Bobby's yeah, I, revenge. Yeah, God, yeah. please. I don't, I don't want it. I don't, I don't know. It. So, like, I, I you wanna, he's just like a fighting champion now, and... I, I don't know. A lot of what made Bobby Guns as cool as he was really just feels like he's not there anymore. And I, I'm sad about that because he's so great. And I don't know. This this character is just not doing it for me in quite the same way. Um, Mary Salani does show up. Uh, he thinks Bobby Guns is too scrawny to be champion. He doesn't have the right body. Um, and he challenges love- Bobby Guns for a title match. And Bobby Guns accepts it because he's just just the generic baby face now and he'll accept any challenge. So, so yeah, that sets up our main event guns versus Alani for the WXW championship. And um, I, I just want to quickly say that, yes. um, Marius Alani is just so good. He's also just an incredible okay. promo. Like the fact that he says, I think you are too scrawny. You were too small to be carrying that championship 
was in particular, especially with him as Dabade. Just he's so good. He's become he went from being like a really good tag guy who I think had a lot of potential to being really just one of my favorite guys in WXW over a very short amount of time for uh, Marius Alani. Love him to death. Yeah, um, great point. Uh, I, I would get, I was just going to say, like, of these two people, Bobby Guns and Marius Alani, a year ago. You have asked me who I like better, and like I would have said Bobby Gons, you know, with new, with with no question, really. Uh, now they're kind of on the same level, and uh, it's because, yeah, like I said, Bobby Gons, I'm not as into as I used to be. Sadly, as great as he is, and reemphasize so much that it's really not anything necessarily with Bobby Gons. It's just kind of this weird booking for his character. But Marius Alani, yeah, uh, he's kind of risen up even more. Um, and, uh, I'm really loving Mario Salani. Um, I feel like there's a good chance. I just have an instinct that he's going to be an NXT guy at some point. Um, I hope he, not. I mean, great I mean, for him if he gets over there he and he's making money and he's doing his thing, but yeah. uh, I'm so tired of people getting fed into that machine. And then, uh, like Poor War Machine. Can we talk about War Machine for a second? <laughs> Must like, we? I mean, I don't even like to go there, but yes, I, there's been I, a lot of flubs with that, so I, I don't know what to make so of it. So you have War Machine, literally the like one of the like the, maybe the top tag team in the world as far as like name value goes on the independent scene. Mm. Like they're doing stuff in New Japan, they're ruling ROH, they're showing up everywhere. Everybody loves them. They're doing great work. They're a fun tag team. Go to NXT and they're you know they they become the the War Raiders and they're still doing their thing they're still Hanson and Rowe and you know they're still doing like great stuff in NXT or you know working with a whole bunch of dudes becoming tag champs doing a lot of good stuff. They make it up to the main roster and I I'm sure anybody listening to this probably already knows this but make it up to the main roster and week one week one they're no longer the War Raiders they're no longer the War Machine they're Eric and Ivar, the Viking experience, and that immediately should send warning signals to everybody else. Do not go to the WWE. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. That was War Machine. They were like the best tag team on Earth for a little bit of time. They were like one of the most over tag teams on the independent scene, selling at selling out shows for New Japan, and that's what happens to them. How can you look at that? How can you see that and be like, I want to go join that? That is what I want to do with my career. I want to be the Viking fucking experience. How can you see that for guys like War Machine and think that that is going to get better for you? individually how can you see that and think that it drives me wild it drives me up the wall that a they did that to war machine and b that people are still gonna see that still see what happened to them see what's happened to ricochet who's you know one of the best talents on earth and is just kind of treated as another dude thankfully he's got enough um skill and experience and does enough cool things that he's probably going to stay over for the rest of his career, thankfully. But just to see what they've done to a lot of these otherworldly talents. Have you seen what they've done to EC3? Who was at one point one of the most... Ah! And take a deep breath. 
get I get very frustrated when it comes to this because they keep taking guys that I really love and they keep putting them in the machine, the WWE machine, and everybody's always excited and like, yeah, they're gonna make money now. They're gonna be huge, big name superstars, and it's gonna be great. And you're like, because you're a supporter, you're a follower, you're a fan, you're like, I really hope they make a lot of money. I hope they have a really good career. You know, this will make me uh, sad in the short term because I won't be able to see them on the independent scene anymore, doing the things that I really enjoy seeing them do. But, you know, all the best of luck to them. You know, all all good faith to them. Hopefully things work out. And then the Viking experience happens. And then EC3's WWE career happens. And it just... Ugh. And then fucking Rockstar Spud pisses on himself. I'm just... I'm very upset over a hypothetical of Marius Alani going to NXT. I'm sorry. I'm going to to take it down a little bit, but... Uh, I've, I've gotten a little bit out of that, a little bit out of my system on that, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna focus on this main event match because I enjoyed it a lot between Marius Alani and Bobby Guts. They were both very good. This was a very uh, fun sort of technical bout between the two of them. A lot of uh, exchanging holds back and forth. A lot of uh, good stuff here. I thought, um, yeah, this was a. Uh, more enjoyable than my thoughts on NXT. It was a very enjoyable match. Very, very enjoyable match, I thought. It, it was a good match. Um, I'm not going to comment on the rest because I've said my piece too many times. But uh, sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to trigger you there. Um, no, you're, you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this was a good match. I, I honestly thought it could have been better based on who was involved. But, uh, you know, they kind of only went so far before they had uh, Ilya running in. And here's... Here's my thing also with the end of this match. Ilya runs in, and he doesn't just attack Marius Alani. He immediately attacks both guys. And I'm like, it's kind of a dick move, Ilya. Bobby Guns didn't do anything to you, so... In fact, Bobby Guns is kind of like... He's not like your best friend, but you've, like, worked with him to accomplish things for Bobby Guns. Like, yeah, he, like, turned nice wrestling you. So why are you being mean to him now? It's a little weird to me. So I, that was a little strange, I thought. So, yeah, they, uh, Ilya comes in, knocks them both down with a clothesline, and then the two of them start wailing on each other, uh, Ilya and Marius. Um, eventually, Bobby Guns gets a microphone, and he doesn't even address being attacked by, uh, by, by Ilya. He just gets up, he's like, all right, you know, enough of this. First yeah. off, Ilya, why are you interrupting my match? Why would you do that? Maybe that's, um, okay, maybe that's that right there. Bobby Guns that we know... There's nothing about Bobby Guns right now that makes him Bobby Guns, you know? He, he doesn't react like a per, like Bobby Guns specifically would. He's reacting like like any generic babyface champion like put into this role. It's not organic and I don't know. That that's kind of what's bothering me, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I <sighs> the one thing I always appreciated, I remember this match when he was teaming with a uh, lucky kid against a uh, uh, fake rise, basically, when we talked about, you know, being a man of honor and how Tarkin Aslan and Marius, Al- Marius Alani weren't honorable men, and I kind of like that sort of change for him. Um, but they didn't really stick with that. They just kind of stuck with now kind of generic fighting champion, you know, stuff like that. Because if he had, like, popped up and been, like, you know, super kicked both guys in the head, basically, and been like, no, 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 no. This is my match. This is my main event. I'm the star of WXW right now. You're not going to come in here and bring your petty feud, you know, into this match, you know, that I am trying to, you know, send these people home happy with in an honorable, like, great bout. 
Like, that's something that is, is like, you know, that has legs, that kind of follows at least a little bit of what Bobby Guns is doing at one point in his face career. Um, you know, like, if he shows a little bit of attitude, shows a bit of that, like, streak that he has, um, you know, really, you know, gets a, a nice actual level between both his heel persona of being, like, cooler and better than everybody else in the room and, you know, a little bit of that sort of maybe face honorable character of like i'm a fighting champion and i you know you know will take on all comers and all challenges because i'm better than them you know you could have a genuinely like killer face character very honestly and straightforwardly a face guy that everybody wants to support but also a guy who has a little bit of an edge to him who has a little bit of an attitude to him who still believes you know that he is the best wrestler in this company not just a dude who happens to be champion but a guy who genuinely truly honestly believes himself to be cooler and better than everybody else he shares the ring with he might respect you he might even like you but he knows he's better than you and we don't get that anymore basically at all you know Ilya comes in he clotheslines both guys and he gets up grabs the microphone and basically goes all right you know enough of this you know, Ilya, how could you interrupt my match? And you, Marius, you're a coward. You're a chicken. Um, and he eventually sets up a uh, three-way match. He says, you know, the two of you, um, you have a match at True Colors. And you know what? I'm going to make it a three-way dance because, Marius, you beat me for the Shotgun Championship, and I can't let that rest. And you, Ilya, I've never been able to beat. And I'm going to correct that in this match. We're going to have ourselves a three-way dance. Like, that in and of itself, I think, is great justification and works really well in what a idealized face champion Bobby Guns would do. Like, you know, you beat me for my title back in the day, and that really pisses me off. I've still got to beat you for that. And you, Ilya, you know, I've never been able to beat you. We've had a couple of matches together. Um, you always end up coming out on top. You know, I've never been able to, like, put you down, and I have to do that to like you know like i don't know that feels like something that with the right execution with the right booking would really fully come across as like a great moment for bobby guns in the end it comes off as a good but kind of missed opportunity throughout everything that ended up happening in this match so good match i'm really looking forward to that triple threat match should be a good one but feels like you know as we've talked about before when it comes to bobby guns that he's just kind of lacking a little bit of extra oomph to his character that I think if he had would uh, really put him over the top and back to where we loved him uh, before as the, the true King of Smoke style doing the smoking break, um, kicking the Mac out of his own hometown in terms of wrestling, doing stuff like that. So if, he, if they kind of embrace that and find a nice level to kind of balance him on between those two personas, I think you could get something good. But right now um, we're not there. We're not there, and it's uh, very unfortunate. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just have to wait for a heel turn or something, because I think everything that was good about Bobby Guns is still there. Just got to find a way to use it the best way. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, that does wrap up our Road to True Colors show. Uh, and really everything I think we we're going to talk about. Anything else you wanted to uh, share out before we uh, call it a day here? I do not believe so, no. I do know Chikara just had one of their uh, – Shows go up with uh, apparently uh, some pretty interesting uh, developments on that involving the uh, Infinite Gauntlet match. So mm -hmm. to see if uh, we can uh, check that out at some point. 
Um, also, I think, as I mentioned, uh, WXW's uh, True Colors show main evented by Bobby Guns, Ilya Dragunov, Marius Alani for the uh, Unified World Wrestling Championship does go up live, I do believe, tomorrow. Um, they already had the show, but they're going to be putting it up on WXW now, I do believe, tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. And yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, it, uh, it's a lot to look forward to then from, uh, both companies. Also, I believe Wrestle Circus just today making their return. That's also a show I really want to check out at some point mm-hmm. in the near future. So stay tuned for all that and much more. We're going to bring it all to you. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, if you want to shout us out, we're on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. He is at Big Def Energy. That's B-I-G-D-E-F Energy. Uh, also check out the other great programs on LOP Radio and uh, log into LOPForums.com and LordsOfPain.net for a lot of great written material. Thanks again for joining us. Until next week, we have been the Global Revolution. See ya. <laughs>